0: Chapter the forty seventh of the Manchester Man by Mrs. G. Linnaeus Banks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The last act, the catastrophe which deprived Lawrence Aspinall of a father and had almost robbed him of a loving, patient wife, would have steadied any man less reckless and selfish than he, but that he should rescue strangers and Jabez save his wife and that through transfusion the blood of jabez should course through augusta's veins formed a combination of mischances beyond parallel and the honey was changed to gall nay he was graceless enough to exclaim in the first burst of his jealous rage i would rather she had died outright than have that fellow triumph in her restoration through his means damn him and yet there were times when in his luxurious fondness He wholly persuaded himself, and half persuaded her, that his very extravagances arose from excess of love. His fancied wrongs culminated when first the will of his father, and after a brief period that of Augusta's father were read and proved. The former set forth that, disgusted with the ungentlemanlike excesses of his son, and convinced that his course of lavish extravagance would end in penury. He had determined to settle on his son's wife Augusta Aspinall for her sole use and benefit the house and premises on Ardwick Green with all therein contained, together with a sufficient sum in the funds to maintain a befitting state. In the event of her decease, the reversion to pass to any child or children she had or might hereafter bear to his son Lawrence. To him he left the residue of his means and the old business in Cannon Street, with a charge to apply himself to merchandise. The latter will, though equally stringent, was a much more prolix affair. After a number of legacies, of which Jabez came in for one, Mr. Ashton bequeathed to his wife all other properties whatsoever he died possessed of, together with half his share in the firm of Ashton, Chadwick, Clegg and Company. The other half to his beloved daughter, limiting the annual sum she was to draw from the firm, and which was in no wise to pass into the hands of her depraved husband. And Jabez Clegg and Benjamin Travis were appointed executors for the due performance of his provisions. Imagine the excitement and jealous fury of Lawrence Aspinall on thus being set aside even by his own father, and superseded by his wife, and as if that were not sufficient degradation to have Jabez Clegg, whose charity school face yet bore the impress of his foot, set as his wife's executor to dole out what he called a pittance, where he had anticipated a fortune. It so happened that the early duties of his executorship called Jabez once or twice unexpectedly to Fallerfield, and that on each occasion the master of the mansion was from home. It might be that the river had washed the roses from Augusta's cheeks so effectually that her complexion had never regained its tone, or it might be that her skin looked white in contrast with the blackness of her bombazine and crape. Certain it was that Jabez was struck with the pallor of her countenance, and his inquiry, Are you not well, Mrs. Aspinall? was tinctured with alarm. As a light flush tinged her cheek, then faded away again, and she received him with a timid indecision, very unlike her former girlish freedom, a sense of her almost supernal loveliness brought something of the old ache into his heart, and out of respect for himself and her, he hurried over his business, and having obtained the signatures for which he came, mounted his horse and rode back to town, haunted by look and voice and manner. Yet in the integrity of his own heart, he had no conception that her embarrassment was the result of fear, fear of the interpretation her jealous madman of a husband would put on so unwanted a visit. He thought he saw a smile of malice in the corners of the mouth of the bold woman who met him in the hall, and nodded to him so freely as he passed her on his way out. But no prescient spirit whispered in his ear that his twenty minutes' visit on absolute business would furnish envy and jealousy with a pretext for foul-mouthed slander, for coarse vituperation, for the use of a whip, and for calumnious accusations which cut deeper than its lash. Cicely who intervened to save her mistress, might have conveyed some inkling of this to Mrs. Ashton, but Augusta absolutely forbade her sympathetic servant's interference. You would do no good, Cicely, she said. The evil is beyond earthly remedy. You would only distress my dear mother to no purpose, and she has suffered too much on my account already. It cannot last for ever. On the next occasion, Jabez was accompanied by his joint executor, But even that fact did not save Augusta from her husband's wrath, and his vile aspersions went far to drive out the last lingering sentiment of affection or regard she had for him. But she clung to her child, and that bound her to her home, and him whom in an evil hour she had chosen, though tears fell bitterly on Willie's curly head, when he, like his father, gave her back blows for kisses. And if at times her conscience smote her, for her haughty repulse of Jabez by the stairfoot window at Carr Cottage, what wonder! Had not Lawrence himself scored his rejected rival's name on her heart with his braces and whiplash? She shut the obtrusive memory out with a shudder, and dropping on her knees, prayed earnestly for strength to bear and to forbear. Yet much of the cruelty of Lawrence at this time arose from another source than causeless jealousy, he had been living far beyond his private means and was greatly involved. He had calculated on laying his hand on a good round sum and was disappointed. In order, however, to raise the needful, he sold his father's old established concern to their head clerk, far below its value. On the Fallowfield estate, his friend Barrett held a mortgage, and had it been possible, he would similarly have disposed of Augusta's possessions. Here, however, he was doubly baffled, and he turned on her as the primary cause. The old law which preserved the woman's absolute right over properties legally settled upon herself, by strange anomaly, did not secure to her one guinea of the coin those properties produced. Well did Jabez watch over Augusta's interest, but his heart ached as he saw her sad countenance, and the greedy triumphant eyes of ever-present Lawrence when her dividends were paid in, For before his very face, Lawrence laid his hand upon the money, to squander it as he had squandered his own on Sarah Mostyn and other dissolute companions, leaving his wife without so much as would purchase a pocket-handkerchief. Then, lest she should make her wrongs known, he kept her a close prisoner at Fallowfield, and for all the pleasure she had of her Ardwick mansion, she might as well have been without it. No wonder if each fresh act of personal violence snapped some bond between them, until the only one link to bind her to life and her husband was her boy, Willie, whilst the only human trait of Lawrence was his fondness for his son, whom he was rapidly ruining with false indulgence, as he himself had been ruined. It was customary, when the haymaking season came round, for Lawrence to gather such friends as his wife or he retained, the married with their children, a frolic in the hayfields, and the bringing home the last wagon-load in triumph to crown or inaugurate a feast. On these occasions he had the grace or the diplomacy to keep Sarah Mostyn in the background, though she flaunted boldly enough about the house in the presence of his wife, and her child mingled with the children. The Harvest Home of 1831 was attended with the customary festivities. Willie, a rough playmate, was half smothering Nellie Clegg in the hay. Chasing the Wormsleys amongst the haycocks until the last load was ready, and then the boy insisted that he and his companions should be mounted atop. Shouts and cheers announced their coming to the party in the drawing room. They came crowding to the windows, and the glass door being open, one or two sauntered out onto the flagged walk. Merrily they came along the gravel drive under the hot sun, dreaming of no danger. Willie clapping his hands and calling. "'Look at us, Papa!' "'When right in front of the drawing-room window, "'the pin which held the body of the cart down, "'by some means became displaced. "'The cart tilted up, "'and Hay and children were sent flying. "'Beyond a few bruises, "'none of the children were injured but one. "'They had fallen amongst Hay or on the spongy lawn, "'but Willie, the one jewel in the Aspinall casket, "'pitched with his head on the flagged pavement "'and was killed on the spot.' Draw we the curtains over consternation and bereavement, and pass on to results. If a change came over Lawrence, it was not for the better. He drank incessantly, became alternately moody and defiant, and added a coping stone to his offences by placing Sarah Mostyn at his table by the side of his wife, and boldly avowing that her child was his child also. Then all the woman rose within Augusta, so long cowed and dispirited, she left the table, and, the insult being repeated, again retired in indignation. Of the servants none had pitied her so much as Cicily, but for whom communication with her friends had been cut off. Often had the former waxed savage over indignities she could neither check nor prevent, but in many little ways the faithful domestic was enabled to ameliorate the condition of her mistress. Now that Mrs. Aspinall, more lovely in her sad womanhood than in her brilliant girlhood, was virtually supplanted, a prisoner under torture in her husband's house, with no tie of motherhood to bind her there, her old nurse, as the mouthpiece of Mrs. Ashton and her aunt Chadwick, had urged upon her once more the necessity for legal separation, and she no longer turned a deaf ear. When Jabez came to hand over the next quarter's dividends, Travis accompanied him, and then Augusta, in the presence of both her executors, demanded and claimed her right to a legal separation from her husband. Lawrence, taken by surprise, started to his feet, then, resuming to his seat, said, with a scowl and a contemptuous sneer, You had better obtain a divorce, madam, while you are about it. Mr. Clegg will not object to the cost, if you can only be made Mrs. Clegg by Act of Parliament. It was a cruel and uncalled-for sneer and travis firing up resented it for his friend who appeared dumbfounded by the suggestion if she had been mrs clegg sir instead of mrs aspinall there would have been no necessity now for the interference of friends for her protection of course not sneered aspinall mr clegg is the white hen that never lays away and now having favoured you with one of mrs ashton's pithy proverbs perhaps gentlemen you will favour me by taking your departure This house and this lady are alike my property. The value he set upon the latter article of property was testified by an immediate application of a horsewhip, so savagely applied that even Bob and Luke, the gardener, drawn thither by Augusta's screams, wrenched the whip from him and covered her escape, the latter declaring he would no longer dare witness such work. To this man, who was also gatekeeper, Cicely crept at nightfall, and offered him a goodly sum down out of her own savings promising a much larger one for mrs aspinall with the offer of a new situation at ardwick if he would only suffer her ill-used mistress to get clear of that brute's violence the man to his credit be it told refused the money but opened the gate and when laurence wakened from his sodden sleep at noon the next day wife cook and gardener were missing the three had walked to ardwick and once there, though Augusta found sad havoc had been made in the place, all was her own, carriage included, and the domestics in charge welcomed her with gladness. Without waiting for even the show of a breakfast, Augusta hurried like a frightened bird to her mother's nest in George Street, where alone she felt secure. Jabez and Travis were summoned, and when Aspinall, recovering from his stupor, sought his human property at Ardwick, He found the trustee under his father's will, and Mr. Lily, holding the place for Augusta in right of his trust. And in George Street he was refused admission. Mrs. Ashton, justifying her daughter's flight, with self-preservation is the first law of nature. A good jack makes a good jill. It is the last straw breaks the camel's back. If you sow the wind, you must reap the whirlwind. He who beats his friend makes an enemy. He threatened, and she answered, "'Threatened folk live long. "'You had best, Mr. Aspinall, "'keep your breath to cool your porridge. "'Augusta's friends will defend her "'from her only enemy. "'Pending separation, you see her no more.' "'He never saw her more. "'The deed of separation was sealed, "'but never signed.' "'With Augusta, all good angels "'seemed to have flown from Fallerfield. "'In his demoniac possession, He strove to blacken her character, to find himself met with laughter. His own life had been so chaste, whilst, as if to refute him, when she took refuge with her mother, Jabez deemed it a point of honour to retreat. Accordingly, he took up his temporary abode with Travis in delicacy towards her and as a check upon himself. No act or thought or word of his must give an evil tongue a chance to foul that spotless woman with its slime. In the midst of all this, Aspinall's embarrassments increased. Creditors pressed. Rich showered in upon him. Barrett foreclosed, and men were put in possession of the Grange. He flew to his old remedy, and it drove him mad. Lancaster jail for debtors loomed upon him, From his chamber window he beheld a sheriff's officer approach with a warrant. His cavalry pistols were in his dressing room. A sharp report rang through the house. Lawrence Aspinall, in the prime of life, delirious with drink, driven to desperation by his own profligate excess, set a blood-red seal on the deed of separation. Ten years had passed from the partnership of Ashton, Chadwick and Clegg, years in which money well employed had multiplied itself jabez was a rich man a man of influence in the town no longer the amateur artist but the patron of art as well henry liversiege and others could have told as he had been one of the first promoters and directors of the manchester mechanics institution so was he now the supporter of the royal institution for the advancement of art and seeing farther than mr ashton who as a member of the New Quay Navigation Company, had opposed the act for a railway between Manchester and Liverpool, he threw his energy into the project, and helped to carry it out, his cousin Travis working with him. His widowerhood had cast a gloom over him for a time, but he left himself small leisure for morbid reflection, and that was cheered by the prattle of his little Nelly. Then came the crash at Fallowfield, and when darkness set upon Aspinall and his deeds, light broke upon the path of Jabez Clegg. At first a mere ray, but he worked the more cheerfully in its light. It was not hope for himself, it was merely a joyful consciousness that there was hope and calm in the sky over the head of their fluttering and wounded dove, and that Augusta could now rest in peace with her mother in the house at Ardwick with no dread of a brutal husband bursting in on them unawares. He came and went as friend and executor, but it was long before it flashed upon his comprehension that the fearful ordeal through which Augusta had passed, but brought his old master's daughter closer to him, or that the prayer old Simon had taught was being answered to the full. That which was, above rubies, had blessed his life, and kept his human heart warm, whilst his coast had enlarged, He had been kept from the evil of a willful and capricious wife, and at last, when he had resigned all prospect of setting the purified pearl as a star on his own breast, it dropped into his hand, unsought, solicited. He had schooled his heart, we know. He had married from a sense of duty and grateful compassion. He was a faithful husband to a true wife, and when he lost her, he mourned her as a valued friend. But though all the early love of his being had been kept alive and in a ferment by the sufferings of Augusta, as an honourable man he suffered no word or look to betray more than a friend's sympathy. And still he kept a stronger guard over himself, though the tragic end of Lawrence had set her free once more. The last fatal act struck a sensitive chord in Augusta's nature. There was no exultation at release. For a time she lost sight of his profligacy and cruelty, and accused herself of having hastened the catastrophe by leaving him to his own unbridled will, and the temptress by his side. She wept for the handsome lover who had captivated her young fancy. She mourned for the besotted soul gone to its account with all its imperfections rampant. "'Let her alone,' said Mrs. Ashton to her sister. "'The sharpest shower wears itself out soonest.' She will come to her senses long before her crape is worn out. Mrs. Ashton was a true prophetess. For a long time the Fallowfield tragedy cast a shadow over the house at Ardwick, and they led very retired lives. Then harp and piano were heard once more, visitors were admitted, and the mansion that Kezia and Sicily united in declaring worse than a nunnery grew bright and cheerful, though the widow's needs were not cast aside. Kitty had been laid under the mould, while Augusta was yet a bride. Almost two years had elapsed. Suitors in plenty had been attracted by the wealthy young widow's many charms, her old admirer Mr. Marsland among the rest. Yet Mrs. Aspinall showed no disposition to change her state, and the one man who had loved her longest and best was not of the number at her feet. He scorned to importune now in his widowerhood for the love withheld when they were both young. He counted age by events, not years. It was for Augusta now, she who had been taught by her very husband's taunts and sneers to think upon the true man she had set aside, to think of him daily and hourly with rapidly strengthening attachment, and think of him as one who had dropped her from the book of his life for ever. Her whole thought was how could she become worthy of the love of such a man, Yet every day and hour the fear pressed heavily upon her that the quiet virtues of Ellen had driven her out of his heart altogether. Of all her guests, he was the one most welcome, most desired, but he was the one she received with most reserve, the one whose stay was briefest, whose visits fewest. Business appeared to have more imperative claims on him than when he had his way to make and Augusta, whose sables had long since been cast aside, seemed to wear them on her heart. The vivacity which had never wholly forsaken her in all her trials forsook her now. She grew listless and melancholy. Meanwhile Captain Richard Chadwick had come home on half pay to brighten up the somewhat dull house in George Street and comfort the old folk, to say nothing of astonishing Sim and Nelly with his long yarns and adventures. Sim always spent part of his vacations with Mr. Clegg, who well paid back to Bess all her early care for him. He indulged the boy's craving for books and pencils, first implanted by himself, and in which he saw the dawn of his future career. That which in his own case had been repressed and subordinated to trade and money-making, should not be so checked in that boy. And old Simon, to whom the lad appeared a marvel, never ceased to pride himself on his forecast in pronouncing jabez a godsend it was during the second summer of her widowhood when augusta accompanied her mother not a whit the less stately than of yore to carr cottage for the first time since her attempted elopement that the feeling of all she had cast from her and all that she had brought upon herself all that might have been and now never would be pressed heaviest upon her She had gone thoughtfully over the old ground, had trod the nettle-grown lover's walk, and sat down upon the open window-ledge at the stair-foot as once before, and wept tears of penitent bitterness. How long she sat there she could not tell. She was weeping for a life lost and a love rejected. As once before, the voice of Jabez, whom she imagined eighteen miles away, broke upon her solitude, but now it thrilled through her. was a light touch upon her shoulder. Mrs. Aspinall. She shuddered. Oh, don't call me by that name. Here, broke from her imploringly. What name shall I call you by? Half wonderingly. Then, in a lower, semi-smothered tone of entreaty, Augusta. Lower sank her head in her hands, but there was no answer save her sobs. It was thus he had addressed her there once before. Augusta and this time the hand on her shoulder shook. Augusta, dear Augusta, once on this very spot I found you weeping thus, and I begged to be allowed to share your grief. I told you I would give my life to serve you. What I said then I repeat now. I would give my life to serve you, and you know it. He gently drew one hand from her agitated face. Tell me your trouble as you would tell it to a brother. A brother? Ah, that was it. She drew her hand back, but she did not rise, and her sobs seemed to choke her. Again he took her hand, and his other arm went round her soothingly, protectingly. Oh, Augusta, this is inexpressibly painful to me. I love you as man never loved woman. Can you not tell me what troubles you? And the earnest tenderness of his voice made strange music in her ears. He had seated himself on the narrow window-ledge beside her, and now he thought she was about to punish his presumption and quit him haughtily as before. But no, she only slid from his arm to his very feet and cried with still covered face, oh, "'Jabez, dear Jabez, forgive me all I made you suffer here, for oh, I have repented bitterly!' He was stunned, bewildered. His passionate declaration of love was made as a claim to her confidence, not to her affection, and now, dear Jabez, did he hear aright? For an instant he was silent from very incapacity to speak. Her bent head touched his knees. Slowly, reverently, as if she had been a saint, with every nerve of his strong frame trembling with emotion, he raised her from the ground, but no arm went round her now. He held both her hands in his, and looked steadfastly down upon her, but no answer made he to her plea for pardon constraint in voice and words was apparent and painful but emotion grew too strong for control augusta augusta what is the meaning of this for god's sake do not mislead me i seem on the threshold of heaven or madness is it possible that i plain jabez clegg can be dear to you dearer than life Clear, full, and earnest came the words from her soul, clear and truthful were the eyes that now sought his. Thank God he held her in his arms with a straining clasp which told how long they had quivered to embrace her soul. Her eyes lit up with an intensity of love she knew not he could feel, and never had his lips met woman's in such fond kisses as he pressed on hers. The concentrated love of years. "'seemed gathered to a focus then. "'Life of my life,' he called her, "'and she knew and felt it was so. "'If the shade of the departed Ellen "'could have looked upon them there, "'remembering how she had rushed to his embrace "'in that very spot, "'and how different had been the kiss "'imprinted on her wifely brow, "'would she have reproached him? "'I wist not.' "'It is needful to add "'that before the summer waned, the Manchester man, rapidly rising into public note and favour, entered into another partnership, or that Jabez Clegg, in right of Augusta, his wife, took possession of the mansion at Ardwick to the satisfaction of Mrs. Ashton, who said, Better late than never, or to tell how the trade of Ashton, Chadwick, Clegg and company continued to extend, or that Travis remained co. to the end of the chapter, the children's co., never taking a wife unto himself. (The end.) End of chapter the forty seventh.